0: Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the non and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me today are James... Natalie, Kevin and Ben but first Natalie we need to talk about Ian Britton who sadly died this week.
3: Yes really sad news coming out of the club this week we learned that Ian Britton passed away after what we understand was quite a long and quite a traumatic battle with with cancer so in tribute to Ian Britton this week the artwork for the podcast very kindly sent to us by Rick is of the late Ian Britton and sent with our thanks. Sad news just because he was such a legend at the club. Everybody remembers him for that goal he scored in the Orient game and people credit him as, as being the saviour of our club. And It's just really sad news and at such a young age as well and I think everybody would share our um, condolences to his family and, and obviously pass on our well wishes.
1: Absolutely. For as far as Burnley have come from from that day, it's it's difficult to imagine what might have been. Had he Britain not scored that goal in the Orient game. So very important to remember that. Moving on to the games this week. Burnley drew 2-0 at Brighton in the televised game on Saturday in the league before being held 0-0 by Cardiff City at the turf on Tuesday night, making it three successive draws, which has tightened it up quite a lot at the top. We'll start with the Brighton game then. Um, James, great character from Burnley again, but wasn't a very good performance, was it?
2: It was a really poor performance, to be honest, and I think Brighton looked like um, you know, the better side for probably 80 minutes of the game, and I think it was only the last 15 that we really came to life. And, um, I know you can look at the the goal that wasn't and say that maybe we would have won the game 3-2, uh, but I actually think, to be honest, if we got that goal, we'd probably sit back and, and settle for the point. Um, and if anything, the only reason we went on to get the one that would have been the third was because we felt so aggrieved by that one. Um, I think, in fact, there's a story that Keane was told by uh, one of the Brighton players, or oh, it was definitely in sorry, uh, and he said that you know fired him up to go and head had that goal home. Um, but it was just it was a really strange game, and I think you know the the positive is Dash did try and make some changes, unlike against Wolves, brought Matty Taylor on, who did make a bit of a difference. But I think the one disadvantage you get when you bring Matty Taylor on is he's very very one footed. And there was one opportunity where the ball came to, and I think it just needed a quick cross. But in the time it took him to switch to his left foot, so sort of the opportunity had gone. Um, but obviously, to see the change he made was a, a positive, and obviously, we saw Ashley Barnes come, come back, which is fantastic, even if he couldn't really necessarily have the impact we would have hoped.
1: That's the trade-off, isn't it, with Taylor? He's got no pace and he's only got one foot, but the quality of delivery does tend to be good when he gets the crossing. Um, Kevin, I suppose it's a difficult game to analyse because Brighton are a good team, they're in good form, they were at home, it was the biggest crowd since they moved to a new stadium. It's, it's not easy, but if we'd won that game, it's easy to say if. It, the retail would look a lot different now, and that's another of the top teams that we've not managed to beat.
4: Uh, it would, yeah, and I think we've got um, we've not got the best uh, record against those top teams away from home. Um, having, having said that, before the match, uh, I think we'd all pretty much been very happy with a draw, um, particularly away at, at such a, a, a competitive side up at the top of the table. Um, sometimes, yeah, the match might be a little bit frustrating, um, but oh, in terms of in terms of the actual result. I've been happy with a, draw, with a draw before the match and um, particularly with, with going into injury time behind, you've got to be very happy with a draw in the end.
1: Ben, welcome to the podcast first thought. What did you think of, of Burnley's performance, battling at the end and it showed again that Burnley just don't seem to know when they're beaten?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd go along and say we definitely didn't deserve to win that game, but uh, it's it's encouraging the fact that we've, we've played pretty poorly and... Uh, maybe got lucky with some of the chances that Brighton missed but but then we've still managed to score three goals in the end um, albeit one disallowed but um, it, it's encouraging for the rest of the season we just need to start turning those draws against the top teams into wins
1: There have been a lot of draws this season, I think the Cardiff draw which we'll come on to later uh, was the 14th of the season, hopefully those, those draws aren't going to count against us at the end of the season um, Natalie, one of the big talking points from the game, albeit fuelled slightly by the media was Joey Barton, whose discipline we talked about a lot earlier in the season when we we're all a bit concerned about him maybe losing his temper. But until now, there hasn't really been anything on the pitch for us to be worried about. What what did you make of the the incidents that Sky were pouring over the, the repeated stamp on Baron Kyle in particular?
3: I think that it has been blown majorly out of proportion saying that I don't think that Barton is whiter than white in this scenario I don't think it's exactly how the club are putting the spin on it and saying that there was absolutely no intention there whatsoever I think in at least a couple of the niggles it was certainly getting a little bit feisty between the two of them Um, I certainly don't I just think there's just been a massive witch hunt with him and it just felt a little bit on Saturday like the media have been waiting for this opportunity to get on his back because of the man and because of who he is you know sky and in, in the post-match interview had all of that they almost had this gallery of, of incidents with joy lined up most of which happen in every single game between so many players right across all four divisions and never get picked up on by any highlights or anything and one thing that actually really annoyed me and this was just evidence of this uh, there was an incident later on in the game where um joy had, had, had somebody had Tackled joy and he won the free kick and after he got up one of the the Brighton players stamped on his foot and it showed it during the game and then let just a, let's say 10 seconds later when Sky went back and did the replay of it they chopped off from like knees upwards and didn't show his feet at the bottom like they just didn't want to to show that there was a another stamp on Joy. it's almost like they'd, they'd set it up that they knew that they were going to go after him after the game so I think so, I, I don't think he was completely innocent in it, but I, do, I don't think it was anywhere near as bad as what the media were blowing it into.
4: I agree with what you said there, Natalie, about other players. I think I think I said to you, if it, if it was Sam Vokes, um, nobody bats an eyelid. Um, and I think that's that that's that, that's my how that's I saw
1: it. The player himself came out and said, didn't he, that, that he didn't think there was anything in it. It felt like something... I agree with Natalie. I, f- I think the media were trying to make a story out of it when there was nothing really there. Chris Houghton said he didn't think it was deliberate. The player involved didn't think it was deliberate. Joey Barton said, it's contact sport. <laughs> it's, uh, I think we just had to talk about it because there was so much fuss about it. But I agree. I think it was just um, a talking point due to the fact it was a draw. Dyche, Dyche was keen to raise the tackle by um, Anthony Knockhart, who, of course, scored that lucky goal. Um, but I thought it was a perfectly fine tackle. It was, again, like Barton was saying, it's contact sport. You're allowed to make a tackle. Um We'll come on to the Cardiff game a bit later in the podcast then, but the other big story that we need to do this week is the release of the accounts that showed Burnley Football Club made a profit of something like £30 million for the season that we spent in the Premier League. Now, we've got Ben with us to talk about the accounts because Ben is an accountant. This is research on the non Never podcast. Ben, can you give us a quick overview of of what you make of the accounts? Obviously, the headline figure... Shows a massive profit, but a lot of that's already been invested in the infrastructure, in particular the training ground.
2: Yeah,
5: absolutely. I mean, the the thing to say is that um, with when you look at the accounts, you've you've really got to bear in mind what period of time it relates to. I and mean, this is this this set of accounts is for the whole of the Premier League season. So, you you look at it and you see it's fifty five million pounds increase in in turnover in a year, and that that is just just from TV rights from Sky in the Premier League. So when you look at next year's accounts, there'll be a massive drop in everything. There'll be the profit will be. I mean, no, I wouldn't expect us to, to the club to make a profit in the Championship. Um, I mean, I've picked out a few interesting stats from from looking at it. Um, one of the interesting things is, is just how much of the total turnover is is dependent on on uh, TV money. So when you look at it, last year in the Premier League, eighty-four and a half percent of the club's turnover was just from that one revenue stream from Sky. Um, even in the Championship, the season before, it was sixty-one percent from Sky. So, just goes to show how precarious football is as, as a business, being being so dependent on on one particular revenue stream. Um, but. But the more interesting bits I, I think from the accounts um, is, is when you look at the staff costs, which essentially is what you're paying you're paying wages to the players and that's your biggest cost uh, and rightly so because they're the guys that really draw the crowds, aren't they? I did a bit of uh, analysis and compared the amount of money that that the club was spending on on uh, wages and salaries as a proportion of its total income compared to last time they were in the Premier League. And it's interesting to note that uh, in the 2009-10 season, the club spent 49% of its turnover on wages. So, half the money it came in was going straight back out in staff costs. And, obviously, the vast majority of that is going to go to the players. This time round, it was only 37% of uh, turnover was spent on wages. Now, a lot of the analysis you read um, there's a few good books about uh, the impact of uh, player wages and and the top teams tend to spend a lot of money on wages than a lot more money on wages than uh, the the lower cl- the, the smaller clubs will spend in some ways that's that the fact that last time around in the premier league we spent half the 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 money that we got in on wages and this time around it was only 37% could be a bit of ammunition for the guys that say that the board didn't have the ambition to to invest in wages. Um, but the flip side to that is, you say uh, Daesh didn't get his any of his first choice transfer targets. If we all remember back to that summer nearly two years ago now, um, would they would if he'd got his first choice targets, would they have been paid more? Maybe. Who can say? Um, it's just an interesting little snapshot.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think we we did the, the prospective transfers on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. One thing that that I picked up on, and I was playing devil's advocate a little bit, but um, in the statement that the club released accompanying the, the accounts, Mike Garley was very keen to stress that the first thing that they did was repay all the director's loans. Now, I don't have a problem with them repaying the director's loans. I just don't think that should have been the first priority. James, do you have a view on this? Obviously Burnley highlight themselves as a very well-run club and clearing the debts is a part of that. But when you look back at the transfer business that we did that summer, bringing in players like Marvin Sordell and Lucas Jukovic, who we hope were going to fire us to promotion, should the first priority really have been paying off debts when the financial future of the club was already secured?
2: Um, yeah, I actually think so. Um to be honest, if I was uh, on the board, I'd put in millions with you know no promise of getting it back. I would have been expecting my loans to be repaid as soon as the club you know had excess money. Um, and to be honest, I don't think the repayment of, of loans has hindered what Daesh has available to him. I think you know last season we know that there was more money available to spend, and the reason we didn't spend it is we just couldn't find people that fit. And I think you know. A lot of fans maybe want the club to spend money for the sake of spending money, but I think we're seeing this season that sometimes some of the money you've spent doesn't necessarily get the results you expect. Obviously, George Boyd's probably having, you know, a much worse season than last year, and he cost three million pounds. Obviously, when you have a three million pound price tag on someone, I think you expect three million pounds of results, and um, we haven't seen that from him. So it could easily been the case last season we could have spent four or five on someone else, and we simply wouldn't have got the value for the money. So, I think it's better to make sure you get the player you want rather than um, just spend money to show that you've got ambition, if that's a measurable thing. I think that's a valid point. Kevin?
4: I, I, I think it's important to remember as well that these, um, these accounts are, are primarily written not, not for us to read, for fans of obviously we are going to be an audience. But you know these are, these are going to be the attended audience mostly is going to be more fancy people, um, to use a technical term. Um, I think I think in, in that context I think it's it's quite important for a club to to really emphasize just how um, how the the sensible side where how we're running the club and making sure we're free of debt um it's probably quite a sensible way to go uh, emphasizing that for, for those eyes even if it might not look as pretty for uh, for the fans to look at I think the, the only thing for me was that it was titled as this brilliant thing but
1: I don't know we still got relegated. I don't think £30 million of profit and relegation counts as a successful season in my book. I'd,
5: I'd absolutely agree with that. And I think I think you you have to look at it and say, um, I think James made a point that obviously in the previous season we would have made a profit without the, the promotion bonuses. And that's always going to be the case. The only way you're ever going to make a profit as a football club is by being in the Premier League. So... It, it's it's great that you made a thirty million pound profit, and I think they've done the right thing to invest in the infrastructure because that's that's what's going to be able to you know sustain the club in the future if if we don't get back in the Premier League. But it's you know the, making a thirty million pound profit one year when every other year you make millions of pounds of losses is you know it's not great business in in a business sense.
3: I think one thing that struck me when I was looking at these accounts is. Yeah, we made a 30 million profit, which is obviously a headline figure, and everybody's really impressed with that. Let's just imagine that we'd not heard that figure. If somebody's come out with the accounts this week and said, look at all of this, we've made a 20 million pound profit and all of these debts have been paid off and the infrastructure's been um, invested in, etc., we'd still been really, really impressed. I know I would have been. So in that sense... I don't think it would have been a really bad thing to invest maybe 10 million of that money from promotion onto players and try and improve the squad and actually get both because we could have still spent 10 million and had a 20 million. Well, I suppose actually, with wages, it probably wouldn't have worked out that way. So let's say maybe spent 7 million on players.
1: The transfers and the wages are spread over the course of the contract as well, aren't they? So it's not necessarily you buy a player for 10 million and that goes in straight away.
5: I was going to say there is a, a cash impact. The, the, the other thing you will bear in mind is is that the the technical side of, it, of accounts is that um, the the amount of cash you have to spend is doesn't necessarily correlate with with how much how much profit you make. So it, there's a there's a sort of accounting process to turn that profit into cash, uh, which is then available to spend. And it it's not as simple as we've got. 30 million pound profit therefore we've got 30 million pound of cash to spend yes we've got a lot more money to invest but it's not necessarily all there straight away
4: ben you mentioned um the how high our um how much we're reliant on on tv income yeah Um, do you think there's any any kind of threat um within that context of something like um itv digital happening again obviously sky's a lot more a lot more stable than itv digital was but let's say Sky decide all of a sudden, okay, are not interested in championship football uh, and we, we're in the championship or we decide they pull out something like that. Is for what sort of impact would that have on the club? Um,
5: I, this is a sort of big picture risk um, that I'd say if Sky said that, pretty much everyone would be in trouble. So, you know, everyone in the championship, everyone in the football league would be in trouble. And, and I personally like to think that... Uh, that the, that the Premier League clubs have a, have a bit of knowledge of, of how important the, the, the Championship and the Football League is to generate clubs coming up and, and keeping the competition an exciting product that they can sell to Sky. So, yes, it would have an impact, but I think it would have an impact on everyone. Uh, it might have a bigger impact on Burnley than, than clubs that can sell 20,000, 30,000 tickets a week at, at £40 pound a ticket. Um, but you know the impact would be so massive there'd be so many clubs in, in trouble that it's probably not worth worrying about too much
1: I suppose one one good little thing that comes out of this profit is being able to turn around to clubs like Middlesbrough who've hailed the money we've spent this season and go um, £30 million profit whereas you haven't had a profit in 10 years or whatever it is um, James you've got one final point on this before we move on to talk about um, actual football again
2: um, yeah, it was just straight really in response to what Bromer said. Where, you know, I don't think anyone's disputing we could have spent another ten million, but I think the issue was that Sean couldn't find someone to spend ten million on, um, which is better obviously than going to a team. Can we have your player for ten million? And, of yeah, course, I, I, 10. I think we we're in the age of a circular
1: debate about this, but I think maybe the issue was more that the the budget wasn't set at the right amount. If if we made this profit, then the budget could have been bigger, and then the targets could have been different or the targets that we've had we've and been able to get in on on
5: the point of the budget I'd I'd say that they, they probably had an idea that they wanted to spend all this money on the training ground and the infrastructure and that was in the budget before they even got to the, the kind of playing budget side of things that's that would be my guess anyway
1: okay well let's leave the accounts out if you do want to read a bit more about Burnley's accounts there's a really good article on the Swiss Ramble um, Adam will put that in the show notes It's well worth checking out if you are interested. Um, I'm aware that a lot of fans, however, will just want to talk about football. So we'll get back to the football now. Um, A 0-0 draw with Cardiff at Turf Moor. Natalie, another team coming to the Turf, content with a point, and we struggled to break them down.
3: We really struggled to break them down. Now, I I was nervous, which may not come as a huge surprise to our regular listeners, but I was... nervous. I know what a shocker, right? Um, but I, I, I was—I didn't have a good feeling about this game going into it, and for no other reason other than Cardiff are a good side. I was at the return um, leg like at the earlier on in the season, and it, you know we had a, we really struggled down there as well. You know we've got probably the hardest, some of the hardest fixtures of of the um, promotion contenders um, out of all of them, really. And Cardiff at home—it looks on paper like we should be winning it, winning it, but they were a really good side, and we just had no way through a very well organized very disciplined side who actually defended very very well we just we lacked that killer edge up front and we lacked that creativity to be able to, to close them down so it was all very huff and puff and we'll just go home and felt like we'd just about done enough to to get a point really it was quite a frustrating night
1: James, what do you think the problem is? Is it a creativity thing? Obviously, the two lads up front have scored a lot of goals this season, but is it the four behind them? I know you had a particular issue with the lack of width on Tuesday.
2: I, I really do think it is the shape, and I mean, it's really difficult to to place any blame at Gray for his recent form. Because, I, I mean, you look back at, on the chances he's had, and he's not really had a lot. Um, you know, there's not a lot of service for him, and I... I think obviously I posted a graphic on Twitter um, last night of how we seem to play for most of the game and and how it ends up looking is that we've got the two centre-backs and then the two full-backs end up around where you'd expect wide midfielders to be. And then the whole midfield and the strikers are like in a six in the middle in a box. Um, And I just don't think it it achieves anything. And so often when we come against opposition who just drop in, we pass it along between our centre-backs back out to a full-back, back back to a centre-back. Barton will drop short, he'll pick it up, he'll pack it to another full-back and then eventually we'll rob it into the box. And I think what we really need to do is we need some whip from Boyd or Arfield or, you know, Keitley, Taylor or Lloyd Dyer, whoever, and we need to try and get to the byline and put the ball in. I think last time we got promoted, we did have more of a balance with the the wide men. Arfield would play that style where he sort of tucks in a little bit. And Keitley, obviously, he a you know more of a true winger and he'd get wide and he'd push to the byline and try and get the ball in the box. Um, I mean, obviously, some people complain about Keitley's end product, but at least if he gets to the byline, puts a low ball in, it could go off a defender and go in or anything like that. And I think it's just better than lobbing these deep crosses in um, just hoping we get our head on it. The thing
1: with Keitley is, I know we've talked about Keitley quite a lot on the podcast, but he's very direct, like, he he doesn't hang about and waste time he he gets the ball and he tries to do something straight away so even if the end product's rubbish he's done it straight away
2: um, yeah i i think exactly that's it we just need a little bit more um urgency and and i think as well when we did see Carter play now in the season he seemed to have a bit of a connection with gray and really the service gray's getting right now isn't going to you know propel him to score goals he's scored 23 so far and you know the talent's clearly there the ability's clearly there if you give him the service, he's going to score. That's spot on. Um, Ben,
1: I suppose in in isolation, a point at Brighton and a point against Cardiff who are chasing the playoffs, they aren't bad results, but when you put three draws in a row together, it's easy to see why fans of other clubs, specifically Borough and Brighton, might be wondering if if the pressure's starting to tell a little bit.
5: Uh, Yeah, and I I can comment on that directly because I work with a couple of Borough fans um, who have... Said plenty about that in the last few days, but um, yeah, you you can see it, and you can see why fans are getting nervous. To to think, you know, just a few weeks ago we went seven points clear, and and that lead has now just completely disappeared. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're still seventeen games unbeaten, and it's just about kind of finding that way to to convert these draws into wins. Um, I I agree on the, the whole point about the. You know, needing a bit more urgency um going forwards at times. And I think we did see that towards the end of the game when, when Heaton was getting the ball in the box, he was trying to he was trying to get distribute it quickly and, and just the, the team wasn't getting out of the box quick enough for him. Um and and it's something I remember from the Premier League last year that the, the better teams really were the ones that that turned it around really quickly.
1: Yeah, I think at the minute it's maybe just the problem with when you're at the top, teams see you as being there to shoot at. and Some Cubs will come and try and beat you, so you're a scalp. Other clubs like Cardiff, they'll see the point as a really good result. Um, Kevin, is there any concern from you at this point? I mean, there's still six games to go, and probably only need to win four of them to be promoted, but we haven't really all out winning any of the last three.
4: Um, I agree with what you said about looking at the the the, the difference between looking at results in isolation and together. I mean, you look at Cardiff... Um, they might sound like a quite unsexy club, but you look at some of the results this season. they have had some very good results. They beat they, uh, they beat Derby um, just, uh, just 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 uh, the weekend, who obviously thrashed Hull um, yesterday. Um, they they beat Preston, who probably one of the form teams in the league this year. Uh, they've thrashed Brighton as well last month, um, or oh, sorry in February. So you know Cardiff for a very very good team. Um, so you know getting a point against them is, is a respectable result in itself but it, it obviously it's slightly concerning to have gone um three wins uh, three games without a win particularly with that very uh, that that spell we had where we, we'd we won kind of however many it was in a row um and you got to say it does feel like um it does feel like six points dropped um or certainly at the, at the very least four points dropped um Saturday is huge now because if if we don't, if we don't win on Saturday, then when we're starting to become a, a, a hollow a in Middlesbrough, um, okay, the defeats aren't in there yet, but given the the, the, the drastic change of form from winning all those games in a row, if we were to then go four games without a win, that would be a, a huge, um, a huge, a huge concern um, from the crowd, from the crowd. And, and obviously Dice has talked previously about the, the crowd being on edge and that's, that's only going to increase. Um, so yeah, I think Saturday becomes. Um, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but at this stage of the season, every game is the biggest game of the season. But I think Saturday really does become the biggest, the biggest game yet because that could really define our season.
1: Six cup finals. Someone, someone. We're only a few seconds away, from someone saying that every game until the end of the season is a cup final. I reckon Bar up with that one in the build up too. Um, saturday's game i think you're absolutely right i think beat leads and suddenly everyone starts to relax a bit the panic goes but it is a fact that we've had what was it a seven point cushion at some point and now it's down to one two points it's it's obviously a little bit concerning at this point um natalie we asked on twitter for for some suggestions for for what's going wrong and what can be changed so instead of tweet of the week tweet of the week um we're going to go through briefly some of the responses that we got. If you can sum those up for us,
3: I certainly can. So last night, in um, response to some frustration across social media as to um, the draw, uh, well, I guess the two draws and the, the the lack of a win and lack of a cutting edge we've had, we asked our listeners and our followers what they would do to change matters against Leeds on Saturday. Um. Majority of these came from midfield. Um, we had an overwhelming uh, response. Most people suggested straight away that we um, bring in Marnie and drop Jones. Um, we also had a very similar number of votes, people saying to bring Carly on for either Arfield or Boyd. So obviously some changes there straight away. They want to see uh, more attacking play and more creativity. Just one um, point had-
1: on, on Boyd there, so to interrupt. Right. I was following the game on Twitter because I was at work on Tuesday and I think Andrew Greaves from the Telegraph we've had on podcast before, he highlighted Boyder's playing quite well in the first half hour and at half time there was just a slew of tweets slagging him off because he had that one half chance that he snatched at because it was on his
2: wrong foot. So just, it well, just
1: shows uh, how, how different on, it
2: can be. On the chance, he had two very good chances. The one he snatched at on the wrong foot, he chose to hit with the wrong foot it, I would say actually those two chances are more of a reason to chastise him than a reason to say actually he was half decent. Maybe I'm, he, say he have... half
1: chances rather than clear cut chances. He should have done better, but I don't think there were you have to score with those chances type things. I'd,
2: uh, I'd
5: say as well, at least he was there to uh, snatch at it, which he hasn't always been in the past.
1: That's true, he had got in the box. Uh, Natalie, sorry, we all interrupted you to to talk about how rubbish George Boyd is. Please carry on.
3: It's quite all right. That's that's why we're debating them this evening. So it's good to get such a passionate response. Um, I agree with you. I think I think Boyd um, did have a very good first uh, first half. He did disappear in the second half. But with that in mind, I think most people um, in our um, uh, tweets last night did suggest that, that Boyd has to get dropped. And it was either um, Kitely to bring him on for him or some people also suggested um bringing Dyer on we had quite a few people who asked us to uh, just to make sure that Dier is on the bench just to give us some options we have talked about this over and over again about the lack of um, changes in the squad and the lack of options to you know chase a game when we are struggling and, and I think most people are feeling that they want to see Dier on the bench so we've got some options um, just reading through some of these tweets that we've got in um, Stuart Rhodes states that the wingers need, a def- need to be refreshed for definite we need something different I think he's alluding to, to having uh, Dyer in there as well. Um, Lee Whitaker stated, we play with two on the wing, yet don't create chances from the wings. Bright has to be dropped for a start. And most people were then going on to state that they wanted to see um, Marnie brought in for Jones. I think, you know, we all really like Jones on the podcast. I think we're all big fans of his play. Um, he seems to have struggled for a couple of games and there seems to be um, a lot of frustration aimed towards Jones. So he was definitely one. Um, that was a reoccurring theme. Jones
2: is the classic whipping boy, isn't he? I, yes, I, I
3: he is. So. Yeah, I he think
1: is. at the minute, I've, I don't think any of the midfield four are playing particularly well, but Jones is the one who always seems to get the boot kicked in by the fans. There was one person, I'm, I'm just looking at this, one person suggested drop Barton, which I'm sort of surprised at, but I suppose...
3: Oh, yeah, I was very surprised to see that, but I think he's He's, he's had dipped a bit to bit. They have. I think I've noticed more than anything. One thing at the start of the season, which he was superb at, was keeping possession. His he found his man. He very rarely, you know, gave a stray pass. But the last couple of games, um, certainly against Brighton and against Cardiff, just not finding his man and and you know giving the ball away a little bit cheaply in midfield. Certainly nowhere near enough to drop him. I think that would be a disaster. But you know, some people do feel that they need to see him replaced. So.
1: Okay, um, James. We'll start with you then. I know you tweeted after the game that you can't see how Dash names the same starting eleven on Saturday. What what changes would you make then? I assume Kaitly will be among them.
2: Definitely, definitely. Just before I go into my changes, I'm just going to drop in on the tweet thing. I saw a great tweet from Clarity Clarity on uh, David Jones. He said David Jones could save a Burnley fan's life, and they'd more than he'd pass them back to the ambulance and not forward. Um, Yeah, we're not having a tweet of the week
1: on the podcast this week. uh,
2: That's um, unofficial tweet of the week. I just (laughs) thought that really sums up fans' opinion of Jones. Um, But no, for me, I I definitely wouldn't change Jones. I think Jones and Barton gives you a balance between, um, you know, more attacking and obviously a bit more calm. And obviously, we saw Marnie and Barton at Brighton, you know, briefly, and I, I think it did work. But I'm not sure there was just enough evidence there to to know whether you'd want to start with it. Uh, for me, what I think would be key is either Arfield or Boyd. I think it really, I mean, as much as I think Boyd's form has been below par all season, really, I'm not a hundred percent sure that Arfield's fully fit after his um, injury picked up on international duty. So I think depending on what Arfield's fitness is, I'd bring Cartley in for one of the two. Um, I'd maybe look at bringing Lloyd Dyer onto the bench. I, it's difficult to say, cause obviously I, I'd assume there's a reason he was without a club when we picked him up, and you don't know what sort of fitness regime he'd been keeping himself while he was um you know without a club, so is he actually dash fit yet i'm I'm not sure obviously Dash has said he's ready to be in the squad if needed, but um there's a difference in between not being injured and being um at the level Dash would like i think um we've
1: done die quite a bit, but it has been what a couple of months now since he signed so we must have some idea of his fitness. Then, obviously, it takes time to get up to the level. But we are talking about a player who's going to be an option for ten, fifteen minutes off the bench. I don't know how fit you need to be to
2: do that. Um, yeah. But I think the difficulty is who makes who makes space for him.
1: this is true. And Dash said, didn't he? He said um, he's only got so many spaces on the bench, so someone. Yeah, you,
2: you're either advocating that, that Taylor gets dropped, which I think would be unfair. You know, his, his substitute appearances have been decent. He provides a great cross. He's a great option. Uh, when he comes on to take corners, obviously we saw that at Brighton. Um, or you're saying you drop whoever, in my scenario, whoever comes out for Cartery, which I think, you know, I can't see him. If he won't take uh, Boyd out at the starting 11 to start with, I can't see him taking him out of the 18 um, on the back of one game. Uh, and that, the other interesting thing i may maybe look into is do you replace the other winger with Ashley Barnes and play a more dynamic? Um, sort of formation where Barnes can fluidly change into being an attacker. I'm not sure because obviously, like I said, promotion season we had one winger who didn't really play as a winger and one who did. You could have Kartley running one flank and the other side's Barnes who can come in, you can push up, and it gives you a little bit of flexibility and obviously makes it difficult for the opposition when those wingers can then swap and they have, each fullback has to get used to a different sort of um, philosophy from the, the player he's marking.
1: I like the idea of Barnes on the wing and it's it's partly because I think he offers more of a goal threat than either Boyd or Arfield would and I think also he, he just has that little I'm just struggling for words without um, saying something potentially libelous but he's got a bit of a nasty streak in him he's got a bit of that yeah, aggression he... that Barton's got and I think that edge yeah, that, that little that's... edge can maybe get us over the line
2: Yeah, I, I think he pulls you back and um... Obviously we saw in the Premier League seasons where he can score from from distance. Obviously there's a goal wide lane which was an absolute stunner. And if you could have someone with that sort of range effort on him, you know, just tucking him from the wing, there's the opportunity there for some you know, for some goals from range, which I think is something that has been missing from my game this season. We don't really see him a massive threat from outside the eighteen yard box.
3: You know, we did try this last season. You know, if you remember, we had the the quandary when Volks got fit and started coming back at the end of the back end of the Premier League season. We all suddenly wondered how we were going to drop Barnes just on the basis that he played so well. And he was, at the time, our best player. And Dyche did play a few games where he had... Um, actually just sitting just behind Ings and Vokes and it gave him a real freedom just to go wherever he wanted and he wasn't constrained to just playing in one particular role yeah, and players I play as a destroyer uh, almost yeah and I, I wouldn't I genuinely wouldn't mind us doing that again on Saturday I think it's I think it worked well and why not
1: I think it's 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 interesting he's certainly got a lot of options out wide hasn't he Kevin I mean one of the problems we've had previously is that the wingers have played because there's been all the wingers but we're talking about Bonds as an option there. There's Lloyd like Dyer, he's not been in the squad. Taylor, Kightley. It's not like Arfield and Boyd have to play because of nobody else. There's four other players who are decent candidates to come into the side.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key thing is, as well, they're all very different players. Um, Kightley, um, Kightley will, 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 like you said earlier, will be very direct, get up there and try to get something in. Um, Taylor has got a, a, a wicked delivery on him. Um, I'm surprised Taylor hasn't played much uh, more than he has actually, because I think a the, the few times when he has come on, um, he's he's often been involved in a goal, and he, he must have a, a very high kind of goal being involved to, with goals to minute ratio. Um, and then obviously Dyer gives us something very different. He's got a lot of pace, um, which is again something we don't really have. Um, so all those players are something, offer something something different. And do you know, what, actually, I, I I've got a funny feeling that Dyche m- might make some changes on Saturday. Um, we saw that earlier in the season when we had a bit of a rough patch um, Dice did that I think I think Kiteley came in for either one or two games then um, and he he did change things around a little bit and I I don't know it, 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 this is Sean Dice, so I'm probably very wrong because let's be honest Sean Dice will do anything he can to avoid making changes to his team but I've just got a sneaky feeling that we will make uh, not whole scale changes but I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Kylie and Kylie and Marnie come on, uh, coming to the, the it, team against it, Leeds.
1: It's a difficult one because we know Dykstra is is eleven, but he's, he's like you say he's not averse to making a massive surprise. Like when Barnes lined up on the left wing for the first time, everyone's looking at each other going, Barnes on the left wing, like seriously. But it proved to be quite an inspired call. So yeah, we'll have to see. Um, ben, if it was up to you, what what changes would you be making for for Leeds on Saturday?
5: Um, I, I'm not sure. I would make any changes, to be honest. Um, I, I think we've got to also bear in mind that the, the the team that's basically been unchanged all season has actually got us to the top of the league. And you know, when you, you've only got six games left, you want to be ma- you don't want to be making radical changes to the way you play and the, the formation and the team. You know, when really you're just looking at getting over the line now. Um, but if I had to make a change, I'd be I'd be inclined to to bring Taylor in just because just because of his the quality of his his passing and his crossing and he, he can get those decent balls into to the likes of Vokes to get his head on it. So
4: I, I would love, I'd love to see I, 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 I regular listeners know that I'm a big fan of Taylor. Like I said, I'm really disappointed he's not played more than he has. Um, I'd love to see him coming from the start. I think I don't think Sean Dash has done that. All this season, and I think I think he might have played in the cup. So I don't know if it's a fitness issue. He
1: started at Forest, didn't he? Played ninety minutes and scored an equaliser right at the end. So the point that, that you would obviously make is say maybe it's his age, maybe it's his legs. Well, the one time he started, he scored an equaliser in the last minute. So that sort of seems to refute that point. But yeah, Matt Taylor, another option in there. Um, Natalie, you've got one last tweet for us then on this. What what are you expecting from the Leeds game on Saturday?
3: Well, we have got one strategy that nobody's mentioned yet. Obviously, we've talked quite comprehensively on the different tactics for the game. But James Peake did actually tweet us last night and come up with a very, very good strategy where he said that he was going to try wearing his away shirt instead of his home shirt and he was going to go in for a different turnstile and fingers crossed that that would work so i think we do need to consider the fact that everybody's match day routines if they've been working you know keep keep doing them but if you think that you're starting to jinx them get those routines changed I superstition i can't, can't believe we together. just
1: wasted five ten minutes on the podcast talking about changes to the team when we could have been talking to changes exactly. to, changes to people's routine you <laughs>
3: know. Steve, nobody thought of it goodness
1: <laughs> all, all our routines
5: have been messed up by uh, Sky moving the kickoff times. So that's the true. problem.
3: That's, that's true. That is true. But can you actually this.
2: can you actually blame your routine or superstitions when we haven't lost yet? Have they really crossed into being lucky yet, or just not as lucky? That is a
3: good point. Mm-hmm.
2: But do, do, do you, you want to risk us drawing again on Saturday?
3: Yes, can't. You know, we could do a whole
1: podcast on this. Maybe we will next week if we lose the leads. Maybe we will.
2: I mean, if you got, I think work? we'll have bigger problems if we lose the leads. <laughs> So, does it mean you've got lucky underpants then for Saturday? Because you don't want us to draw again. You just wear two pairs. Wear them inside out or just
1: anything to try and change it. I don't know. Interesting ideas. Uh, please tweet us if you've got any ideas for, for changing routines. You tweet us as normal um, at No Nay Never Or You can email us podcast at No Name Never .net, as always. will end with predictions. Ben, we'll let you go first. What are you expecting from Leeds at home at the turf on Saturday? Another early kick off. Early kick off seem to they always feel a bit flat to me.
5: Well, I'm I'm confident about Saturday. I I, I think two or three nil. Um, I'm I'm a believer. I think uh, more than likely Dice will name an unchanged unchanged side and uh, yeah, two two nil maybe, uh, but. Back to back to a four point lead at the top of the table.
1: Come on! I think a fast start is, is always crucial. I mean, don't want to descend into cliches. Talk about an early goal, first goal important and that. But I think the last couple of home games, the longer it takes, the crowd seems to be getting more nervous. And know an Dash has called for patience, but um, yeah, it's probably not going to get the patience. <laughs>
2: James, predictions from you? Well, really, I think you know a quick start and the first goal is massive. Um, no, seriously, I, I think um, Leeds are a side that are very beatable. Obviously, they, they have been hammered a few times recently. Um, Brighton took them apart and even Huddersfield took them apart. So on the basis that Huddersfield can take them apart, I'm going to say we will as well. Um, and we're going to really bounce back uh, 4-0 and is going to set up all of them.
1: Is this the Andre Gray hat-trick returning?
2: Andre goes near a hat trick, um, and yeah, Carty's <laughs> going to get four assists. Brilliant, um,
1: Kevin. Your next thing was a prediction leads very hit and miss. Seems to get good results, and then like like James says, prone to being hammered by mediocre sides like Huddersfield as well.
4: Um, well, obviously we we talked people week about um, the the Gazette in, in Middlesbrough uh, cursing us. Oh no! Um, <laughs> and well, and if we're going to go from that, then I mean, obviously it's going to be a draw. But. Um, yeah, I, I, although we've you know we've not won in three, I'm very much of a of a, of a viewpoint but looking at them as isolated results, and I don't think there's any problems, uh, particularly um, long term. So I'm going to have, I, I think it's going to be a scrappy one nil win, but hopefully we'll get that goal early on in the match just to settle a few nerves. And that means the last say uh, goes to
3: Natalie. I am going to be the twelfth man. I am going to take one for the team, and I'm going to bring back Brommer's reverse psychology. Oh no. I launched it just before, we, just after we played Hull in Boxing Day, and we've not lost since, and we went on that massive winning streak, Back so I'm doing it. Back by
1: your
4: demand.
3: Back by my own demand, I'm <laughs> going to say. So let's see if it works. If it works, you'll be thanking me. I'm going to say we're going to get beat 2-0. So I'll can we
4: say, like, say, actually, we 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 wasted 10 minutes talking about changing the team, we wasted <laughs> 5 minutes talking about superstition, <laughs> when actually the real reason was that you've not been there. Uh, You've been predicting us to win, Natalie. Next, no. week, next week's podcast will
1: just be 30 seconds. Natalie predicting us to lose and then not be it. We're <laughs> <laughs> we done. So that's all we've got time for on this week's No No Never podcast, which has seen the triumphant return of Brommer's reverse psychology jinx cursing thing that guarantees Burnley will win on Saturday in the Roses Derby against Leeds at Turf Mall. So we'll have a win to talk about it on next week's podcast. Thanks to Natalie, Kevin and James for joining us. Thanks to Ben for bringing an informed opinion to the podcast for the first time in three years. Why break the habit of a lifetime? We'll be back to normal next week. But thanks for listening. Goodbye.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com
3: Flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans